Welcome to the Man Cave Podcast with Dan Casper. Dr. Crow from Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine joining us for our Inside the Training Room segment. I want to lead off here going to the NBA with you. So, uh, Joel Embiid, um, he's got a got an issue with his knee. And now I saw one report said that an MRI revealed an injury to his lateral meniscus and will be out through the weekend while a treatment plan is finalized. Another report said he did tear his lateral meniscus over there. So, uh, taking a step back here, when you when we hear like a treatment plan, when they try to figure that out through the weekend, what exactly do they mean by that, or what do you think they they mean by that when they're trying to figure out a treatment plan for for an injury? Well, I, the suspicion is that they're trying to debate whether they're going to do either surgery or not surgery, which is often the first kind of big step, of course. And then there are injury patterns where you're debating whether it's going to be a repair versus a meniscectomy, where you just remove the tissue. Um, recovery times are drastically different. So a lot of times these NBA players and pro athletes who've touched on this in the past, but they'll get multiple opinions. So he may be going flying out to L.A. or New York or Chicago and seeing um, another sports medicine physician to get a second opinion to review the MRI and say, hey, what do you think we should be doing here? But undoubtedly it's going to be a tear. I mean, that's when we use the term a meniscal injury, that's almost, I mean, there's very few meniscal problems beyond tears. Um, certainly anything beyond that that would require any intervention. So this is a meniscus tear that we can be sure of. The real question is, is, is he going to have surgery? And if so, is it going to be a repair versus a trim out? If it's a trim out, he really could be back pretty quickly. But of course, then there's, there's always the, the issue longer term, especially these athletes. I mean, Joel Embiid's not a small guy. So, yeah. you know, your meniscus serves as a shock absorber. So whenever we can save it, we, we always try to. But if you repair it, I mean, that's going to be it for the season for him because you usually miss three to four months after a repaired meniscus. Some patterns even longer, but that's usually going to be a three to four month return to play. Now, when it comes to a meniscus injury like this, and I'm going to have a follow-up question to this, but when you have a meniscus injury, is there something that's like maybe kind of leading up to it, like some wear and tear, or is that like an injury that just kind of happens and there's like no pre-existing conditions? I don't know if that's the right term or anything to, to, to describe that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, there, there can be. Um, I mean, certainly any previous ligamentous injury, so people have untreated ligament injuries, that's one of the most common sequelae of that is meniscal or cartilage injuries. So we can see that. But I highly doubt Joel Embiid is running around with a torn ACL and not getting it fixed. So that's unlikely. Now, there's, there's really kind of a bimodal distribution of meniscal tears. So we see them in young athletic people, and then we see them in elderly people. The elderly ones are kind of attritional degenerative tears where it's just like, it's kind of beat up and the joints just falling apart. Um, those traditionally aren't as symptomatic and we often don't treat them because there's underlying problems that are really driving the issues. And then there's younger athletes where they have it. So it's unlikely he had any real significant uh, prodromal issue or, or precipitating event, if you will. Um, and, and again, they're clearly as MRI is not discussing additional ligamentous injuries, so it's 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 likely going to be an isolated meniscal problem. And the reason I ask that too, because now you're seeing some criticism with the NBA's new rule of that you got to play 65 games, you know, to be eligible for you know awards and such. And obviously Draymond Green, who's vocal about a lot of stuff, was very vocal about <laughs> not uh, him. Yeah, right. Uh, vocal about uh, the NBA 65 game thing, kind of insinuating that. The only reason that Joel Embiid got hurt was because he had to play in that game. If it wasn't the 65 thing, that maybe he would have rested and, and not play in that game. It almost kind of gave the impression that he was dealing with something beforehand, and then this kind of put it over the top. And I don't know if 
that's something that we'll ever know the answer to or if there's any relation to that? Uh, I mean, he, I, I guess, you know, you can have a smaller meniscal tear that becomes bigger, but rest isn't going to change that. Um, so I, I don't, I don't buy that. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure the old school NBA generation are rolling over in their graves hearing that, like you have to play 65 games. I mean, think of what Jordan and those guys, I mean, they didn't miss 65 minutes yeah. in a season, it seemed like, you know, I mean, so not to say load management isn't important. So, I mean, certainly I will say that. In in circumstances you want to you want to basically address things, but it seems like it's become a little bit more of let's I'll just prophylactically take some days off as opposed to I'm dealing with something and then we take time off and address it. So, you know, it's it's at the end of the day, it's it's a product that we're you know people pay money to see him, and so obviously it's disappointing if you go there and, and the star athlete isn't playing. But we also want to keep people healthy. That obviously is important for not only them participating because if they get injured, then they miss huge chunks of time. But also them as human beings, right? We want to make sure that they're taken care of. So it, it is a, it is kind of a balancing act when you try to think about that quote load management, which the NBA is getting to be known for in a negative connotation. Um, but to answer that directly, do I think this circumstance? No, I don't. I think it, I, I can't really think of a scenario where that that's what's going on in this in this case. Hey, we got a, a question for, from a listener, if uh, you don't mind. It's just kind of a general question, uh, mm-hmm. uh, asking, "Hey, Doctor Crow." What is the most difficult uh, surgery to recover from for an athlete, in your opinion? Ooh, man, there's some. I mean, you can always have fractures, really severe fractures. I mean, you know, those aren't super common. Um, so, I mean, if you're talking relatively more common ones, that prob- probably like a multi-ligament knee injury. So, when you see an athlete with a knee dislocation, so like Teddy Bridgewater, um, you know, comes to mind, and uh, Willis McGahee. I mean, athletes like that yeah. that have two or three ligaments that tear in a knee. I mean, it, it is a, it's a complex surgery. It's very, very challenging recovery, getting the motion, the strength back. Um, and the knee, I mean, as much as we'd love to say we can make it exactly like it was before, it, they, they never are. Um, so I, in my opinion, now, then again, you know, my, my specialties are knees and shoulders, so that's going to be my, <laughs> my, uh, my wheelhouse. But, um, and then again, you can always throw in some crazy fractures. So, I mean, I guess, you know, Tiger Woods had an injury and recovered, and he's an athlete. That's obviously related to a car accident. So um, that that opens up a whole Pandora's box because there are a plethora of bad fractures that you never ever want to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but but as far as sports injuries that we see, at least in reasonable um, numbers, I would say a multi-ligament knee injury is pretty pretty high on that list. Uh, actually, another quick texture here said uh, last couple of weeks I've heard you guys talk about scar tissue. Uh, is there a way to remove scar tissue? Sorry if that sounds like a dumb question. No, not a dumb question at all. So the answer, you know, there's post-surgical scar tissue, which is something we deal with a lot. Um, the best way to get rid of that is stretching in time. So you basically loosen it up. And I mean, if you think of any, like if you if you cut your leg. You know, at first there's like the red scab and then it falls off and it's kind of this inflamed scar and over time it flattens back out. The same process is going on deeper. So at first scar is very inflamed, hypertrophic, irritated, and over time it kind of smooths out. So the same concept in knee, a shoulder, ankle, hip, whatever. So stretching, movement are very beneficial. Um, and then, and then there, but there are times where it is so aggressive. Um, we use the term arthrofibrosis that we actually have to go in and cut it out. So there are surgeries that we do simply to that often it is to address, you know, complications from a previous surgery. So let's say one of the most common ones is a knee replacement. So we replace someone's knee, they develop excessive scar tissue that the patient's not able to rehab through. We go back in and literally cut the scar tissue out. Um, but that's, that's not super common, but we definitely do see that. 
Uh, Dr. Crow, Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, joining us here this morning for our Inside the Training Room. Going back to basketball, I know it was a few days ago, but uh, Julius Randall from the Knicks uh, suffered a shoulder injury. Uh, sounds like it was a dislocated right shoulder, and his coach, Tom Thibodeau, said uh, very concerned uh, with it. Now, sh- we, we've talked about dislocated shoulders when it's come to football and you know with swings and, and all that. Basketball is a little bit different. Uh, obviously, <laughs> you know, you, yeah. arms are moving up and all that sort of stuff. So would recovery time be a little bit different from a, a dislocated shoulder for a basketball player, maybe as compared to a football player who can maybe wear a sling and put a Kevlar vest on or something like that? Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, contact sports, absolutely. I mean, there's been numerous studies that have shown this. Contact sports definitely have a much higher um, instance of redislocation. That being said, basketball isn't considered, you know, an easy sport for that because of what you mentioned. So with a shoulder dislocation, it's almost universally the position that really gets them in trouble is, you know, elevation, external rotation, abduction. So think about, like, throwing a baseball, bringing the arm back up and out. And basketball players, they're going up for rebounds or wrestling for the ball. That position is not rare. Um, so I am sure that he's had an MRI the shoulder, of course, to assess the damage. And when you dislocate a shoulder, it gets damaged. Every time, 100% of the time, it never comes away unscathed. So he's going to have an injury either to the joint, to the labrum, or the, or the capsular ligaments of the shoulder. And so depending on the severity, his surgeon must feel that this was a relatively mild kind of injury pattern and feels that rehab is an option. Um, now, with football players, we'll often put them in shoulder harnesses or a sully brace that does help some. The problem in a basketball player, I mean, if you can only, they basically prevent the arm from going in that position. Well, if your arm can't go there, you can't really use it. So I'm... I can't imagine a basketball player be able to shoot, and I've never really seen uh, a basketball player in one of those. So really you're kind of just crossing your fingers, getting back out there. But I would bet he's going to be trying to limp through the season um, and then likely have surgery in the offseason. That would be my suspicion as to where this goes. But um, maybe he's able to get get through this because the, the redislocation rate is not 100%, but it's, it's high. And certainly, again, he's not going back to playing shuffleboard, right? He's going back mm-hmm. to being an NBA player. So. Um, that's going to be something to keep your eyes on. But, you know, seeing that he's only missing a handful of weeks, that's certainly um, optimistic and wishing the best, but uh, he, he could hit a, hit a landmine or two on the, on the recovery process. Uh, to, to kind of wrap it up here, I'm not sure if you saw this uh, report from a couple days ago, but uh, the NFL uh, came out with a joint report and uh, kind of looked at some of the numbers. One of the big ones was uh, the field turf thing, and, and their data found that there was no big discrepancy between natural surface and synthetic surface. I know you and I have talked about that quite a bit, mm-hmm. and and their joint mm-hmm. report came out and said there really wasn't a difference. But also, uh, apparently the NFL saw a steep drop in number of regular season games missed to injury this season, largely largely thanks to a significant drop in lower extremity strains and ACL tears, uh, the data showed there too. So I'm not sure yeah. if they found anything that could help. I mean, this year when I think of NFL injuries, it's Achilles injuries. You know, I think everybody kind of yeah. – figures that one out but they said there wasn't an Achilles pandemic I don't know how they figured that one out but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean obviously good news to hear a lower drop in ACL tears but I don't know have you heard anything like if they found something I mean is it just the the training and and kind of the monitoring of everything I I'm sure it's multifactorial I I, there's also I mean when you're looking at this in a one season we always talk about something called sample size when we're talking about studies a one-season pattern is, is really not enough to draw a strong conclusion. I mean, ACL tears have been around forever. Now, is, is there some new training regimen that all the NFL athletes are doing? 
maybe, but I, I, I doubt it. I, sus- I suspect that you'll see a, a uptick next year to even out, right? It'll just, mm-hmm. you know, law of averages. Um, I will say that there have been some large studies that have looked at the grass versus artificial turf in the past. Um, and again, this is not, we're not, not talking about the old astro turf that was basically carpet. That yeah. was definitely an Achilles um, slash turf toe slash ACL killer. So, I mean, lower extremity injuries on that were, were bad. But the newer generation, there have been some big studies that have not shown a big difference. Now, the problem is, is it became this weird, um, you know, social media thing where every time someone got injured, these big athletes were coming out and saying, it's the, it's the fault of, the, you know, this, this, this. And it just, it really hasn't borne out in the studies. And so uh, the NFL, I do not think they have a real strong ulterior motive. I mean, they want their athletes to be healthy. And these are run by the physicians that take care of them. So they are not in the NFL's pocket. Um, so I, I, I trust this this information. Um, again, I'm sure that there's going to be skeptics, and I'm sure the next guy tears ACL on, on this turf will say, look, we should have been on real grass. But, I mean, there's plenty of athletes that get hurt on real grass, and um, it, it'll be something that I, I, I don't know if the answer will ever be completely there. But this seems like a step in the direction to say, look, it, it works well and and uh, it does not have a higher rate of injury. Yeah, I was just reading a little bit more here to, to wrap it up. It says the league's injury data showed that there were 700 fewer missed player games in 2023 than in 2022. The primary driver of the decrease was the league hitting a four-year low in the number of lower extremity strains. There was a 29% decrease in strains during training camp, and with fewer initial strains, there was a 50% decline in recurrent lower extreme strains. So, yeah, interesting numbers. Well, that's good. I mean, that's yeah. going to be – yeah, I mean, those are those are going to be the ones. And obviously, you know, they're – here locally, people are thinking, like, what are – I mean, Watson was out a good chunk of the season with a hamstring strain. I mean, they're there. They yeah. are. Um, but certainly those things – and, I mean, maybe this year – was it, was it this year or last year they decreased the number of preseason games? Was that last year or was that? Last year or a couple of years ago, yeah. It was a couple of years ago because, yeah. I mean, that could play a role. Guys are, aren't getting kind of thrust back into games quite as quickly. Maybe it's transition. And then, because once you injure them, I mean, you know, we, we talked about this, once you kind of go down the path of like, I've kind of got a bad hammy this year, it, it never really goes away that season. It's something that lingers. Mm-hmm. So if you can avoid the first hit, you can avoid the second and third. So maybe there's something to that as well, but – Again, as far as ACLs, I, I certainly hope it's a, a trend that persists, but my suspicion is that we'll have a return to the norm in future seasons, but time will tell. Absolutely. He's Dr. Crow, Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. I know you're a very busy man, dude, and uh, we appreciate the time, as always, uh, the knowledge that you grace us with every Friday morning, buddy. We appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. All right, we'll talk to you soon, okay, sir? Yep, yep, take care. You got it. There you go. There's Dr. Crow, Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine.